Hi, welcome to the podcast, Commonwealth Magazine's weekly podcast about politics and policy and those who practice and influence both. I'm Jack Sullivan, a reporter for Commonwealth. When's the last time you went to the dentist, and how easy was it? For hundreds of thousands of children and adults in Massachusetts, that answer depends largely on their access to health insurance. There's a move afoot to expand the universe of practitioners who can treat basic dental problems such as filling cavities and simple extractions by allowing highly trained dental hygienists, often called dental therapists, to perform the procedures previously done only by trained and licensed dentists. Think nurse practitioners for oral health. Proponents argue it would increase access for those unable to afford to go to a dentist, as well as fill in holes in those regions where there are fewer dentists available. But opponents say the procedures are not as simple as advocates are saying and require direct supervision, if not hands-on performance, of dentists who spend years learning their profession. With us today are Dr. Don Berwick, a pediatrician and former administrator of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services, who ran for the Democratic nomination for governor in 2014. Welcome, Dr. Berwick. Nice to be here, Jack. Thank you. Thank you. And also joining the conversation is Dr. Ray Martin, president of the Massachusetts Dental Society. Dr. Martin has been a dentist for more than 30 years and has a private general practice in Mansfield. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Martin. Hi, Jack. Pleasure to be with you. And uh, let me start with you, Dr. Berwick. You are one of the advocates. Uh, there are two bills um, on uh, at the State House right now that would uh, codify a uh, this advanced dental hygienist. Um, it was an effort that was made last year, but there was only one bill up there, which was uh, run by uh, which was offered by. Um, Senator Harriet Chandler, uh, as well as uh, uh, State Rep. Uh, Smitty Pignatelli. It's been reintroduced, and in, in what? It, it, well, maybe you can explain it for us then. Yeah. Well, I was I um, I was delighted to see Senator Chandler and Representative Pignatelli come forward with this bill, uh, which passed the Senate unanimously last round. Unfortunately, lost in the House. I think it's an important step forward for the Commonwealth. I'm a pediatrician. I'm aware of tremendous gaps in access to care, even in this very well-off state. There are almost 50% of the kids on, on Medicaid didn't see a dentist in the prior year, in the year we had data for. Uh, people in nursing homes lack dental care. There's a real act. We have a serious access problem. And when you lack dental care, um, your health's affected. It's, it's, it, it's, it's not separable from the rest of the health how, how would this change it then? What, what, what would it do to allow, to increase that access? It would create a new category of providers, uh, dental therapists. Um, this is not new to the world. There are 53 countries, I believe, that have this provider, and six states in the United States either have it or currently are in underway. It's fully approved by the Commission on Dental Accreditation. So it's a, it's a well-established group. Think of uh, nurse practitioners or physician's assistants. In fact, I think dentistry may be the only large specialty that does not have a mid-level practitioner. This bill would allow such people to be trained and licensed to see patients uh, in the state. Where this has worked before, uh, it's been made a dramatic impact. I, I'm a pediatrician, as I said. I saw patients for a year and a half when I lived in Alaska, for example, where, which was the pioneer in this country with dental health aid therapists, they call them. They have basically, uh, they're en route to solving the problem of access even in remote rural parts of Alaska with these very well-trained uh, mid-level practitioners. So this works, and it's got full support from the profession. Well, the, uh, Dr. Martin, what's the problem with that? I mean, it, it, it's in Massachusetts, uh, there was a study uh, by the Massachusetts Health Policy uh, Council, I believe it was, that identified 
um, 61 areas in the state that were uh, identified as uh, underserved. Um, there are more, uh, twice as many dentists, for instance, in Boston than there are down in the South Coast area. Um, if you've got that kind of a, uh, a gap, then why would something like this not be an effective means to do it? Well, the Mass Dental Society uh, doesn't disagree with Dr. Berwick that a position like this might be helpful. We really only disagree on some of the details uh, involved, and we would like to see um, this practitioner um, certainly serve the people that are underserved right now, and, and that is the low income. And as you pointed out, there are several what we call DIPSAs in the state, dental health providers provided shortage areas, and we would like those practitioners to serve in those areas, to serve to some of the, the, the groups that really need it, such as the, uh, the uh, poor, the uh, medically and intellectually handicapped, elderly. So those are the areas that we, we agree 100% that, that we could do better <clears throat> as a commonwealth in serving those people. But then also, we kind of have a good, better, best uh, attitude toward this issue <clears throat> as far as the legislation goes. And we think their legislation is good. We think ours is better because it in, in includes preventive care, things like uh, fluoride and mandatory exam dental examinations before a child goes to school. Those would have make an immediate impact because they have a preventive impact. It's going to take a little while longer to train this new level of practitioner and get them out in the community and get them serving the community. So in the interim, we could have some of the components of our bills that, that involve preventive dental care. What, what is the uh, issue then, Dr. Berwick, if, if you've got dentists on board now saying, yeah, well, we agree, there are, there are gaps. We should have that kind of coverage and we should have that kind of um, dental practitioner. What's, what's the problem then? What, why can't there be a common ground found here? Well, first let me thank and acknowledge uh, Dr. Martin and the Dental Society. They have been full-throated in, in acknowledging the gap in access. I think they're fully committed to seeing that access is improved and that's the kind of leadership we need. Uh, I think that the, I prefer the, the form of the bill that passed the Senate last time and is up again. It's simpler. Uh, the Dental Society bill has elements in it that might be, might be important to address and probably should through other legislation. But why don't we just go there? We have a good model. We know it works. And the, uh, the, there are a few restrictions in the Dental Society's uh, approach, for example, restricting uh, the kinds of patients that can, that can get access to these practitioners. These practitioners are not second-rate care. This is first-rate care. Over 1,100 studies were reviewed by uh, a commission uh, supported, I think, by the, by the Kellogg Foundation, as well as reviews by the American Dental Association. And the care given by these people, uh, well-trained, is as good as, and frankly, in some cases, better than uh, dentists because they adhere a little more strongly to protocols. Who, who so do I, you see I, that's restricted in this, that, that wouldn't be able to access this? Uh, Dr. Martin can clarify, but it, I think it's very good to leave the uh, decision up to dentists as to who uses, who can use these practitioners. The practitioners operate under the supervision, I hope general supervision of dentists. And so I, I would urge the Dental Society to say, to trust their own members and say they'll decide when the addition of some of these people to their practices would actually expand access for other populations than just Medicaid patients. We have people in nursing homes that badly need dental care. We have people who are disabled who might not otherwise qualify. So I don't see the reason to restrict the use of these people. Let's leave it up to the dentists. And um, the, the, the safety of that kind of relationship is well established. The, the track record in these other states is, is, is nearly flawless. This is, a, this is a wonderful program. And again, it has full accreditation. Uh, there's a full accreditation route. 
Uh, I'm worried about speed. Uh, uh, these, these are children and others who are suffering today, and I, I think a simple bill that says this is a new, uh, a new uh, uh, route to professionalism in our state under the supervision of Dennis is the right way to go. And let's leave the other, let's tackle the other issues, but not, not get everything wrapped up together. Well, what about that, Dr. Martin? Why, why restrict where they can practice, for instance, this idea of general versus direct supervision? What's, what's the problem of having somebody who is highly trained, um, who's capable of doing these, um, you know, more, and I apologize if I, uh, if I am underplaying it by saying simple procedures, but I mean, that's the whole idea is, you know, simple extractions, simple um, cavities, going to where the people are, going to where they need them. Why, why restricted, for instance, from nursing homes? Well, we have uh, right now in the state of Massachusetts a public health dental hygienist that can go to all the nursing homes and perform every procedure that a, a dental hygienist is uh, licensed to practice and everything. So we already have that in place. This would add another layer, um, but in that other layer, these new, this new form of practitioner would be doing irreversible procedures. And so that, that's one of our concerns is that we always have a dentist there to help them out um, doing potentially things like uh, drilling and filling on teeth, extractions, things like that, that we would want a dentist on site uh, and not uh, remote supervision. In some of the legislation, and, and these are certainly areas that I, I would see that we may be able to reach, a, uh, you know, middle ground on. But some of the ones had the dentist being supervising uh, under general supervision, being as far as a hundred miles away. And, and you know, if, if a problem developed, um, you know, we'd certainly want them to have the assistance of the overseeing dentist, uh, you know, a lot more rapidly. Why, why then bother to even have that type of a dental uh, hygienist if you? If, if you're requiring the dentist to be there, you, that's another person that's involved in the procedure, um, why not just eliminate the middleman and have the dentist remain in charge? Well, they, we already have federally qualified healthcare centers available. Um, that's one of the entities. And dentistry is a little bit different than medicine. So uh, one thing, when we, when we talk about the relationship and comparing it to an NP or a PA, um, you have to realize that um, with dentistry, you need a whole setup to be able to you know, dental chairs, things like that to be able to treat patients and everything. So it's a little different. Uh, there are mobile dental units that these practitioners could use, um, but that's very costly. So we want to see that um, they're going to be able to be treated in the effective manner and in, in a place that's already running. Um, and things like nursing homes, um, we sh there are dentists that are supervising there and they could be seen on site. One of the, let me ask one other quick, uh, one question that is a part of the argument for these bills, um, which is uh, coverage of Medicaid and Medicare for um, um, some of the uh, children and, and adults. Um, the, the Mass Health Policy Council report that came out um, showed in, 19, in 2014, uh, something like 36,000 uh, visits to the emergency room for preventable oral uh, health uh, issues. Um, children who are on mass health are six times more likely um, to develop these, uh, to, to visit um, emergency room than uh, children on commercial. 90% uh, of adults who, 90% uh, of those who are treated at um, emergency rooms for preventable uh, health care are adults. Um, so the issue comes that 
one of the one of the problems is they go there because a dentist doesn't take mast health. You know, there are less than thirty percent or thirty five percent of dentists who treated mass health patients in 2014. Nationwide, one in five uh, dentists uh, treat uh, patients who are on public uh, health programs. What's the problem? Why aren't dentists uh, um, accepting mass health uh, patients? That's a great question, Jack. And I think uh, Dr. Berwick and I would be in agreement on this is that we've lobbied extensively to have the state increase the adult uh, dental Medicaid benefit. Um, the only way that the children got covered at an acceptable level that was there was a federal lawsuit many years ago that essentially forced the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to bring the reimbursement levels up to an acceptable level. And they became about 70% of what a dentist would normally charge, and immediately the problem was solved. So we're constantly lobbying to, to, build, to bring the adult dental Medicaid benefit up to a level like that, and we think that would go a long way to to first solving the problem before we even have to get into uh, other ways to solve the problems. Would, th would that be a cure, Dr. Berwick, to uh, increase uh, reimbursement from uh, Medicare and Medicaid? I think that the reimbursement levels do need to be raised. I fully support that. and But that won't solve the problem. And politically, it would be very difficult to get that through. I, I mean, I would certainly think it, we should keep trying. But there aren't enough dentists to go around. And uh, there's no reason to restrict this additional support to people in only a certain categories in the Commonwealth. People, if a dentist thinks that a patient would benefit from this, they ought to be able to, to, to draw on this kind of, of, of practitioner. As far as the safety issues go, you have to look at the data. Uh, the data are very clear, and there, there have been none. Uh, and yes, someone could be practicing under general supervision. That means not with a dentist on site. I think it's very important that that happen because it's the only way to extend the care out to the really to the areas that are missing the care, um, and uh, and and with through telemedicine support, uh, use of nine one one, anything that that would go wrong, of course, we'd be dealing with it on an emergency basis. But you can't you can't solve this problem by requiring dentists to be at the side of every one of these practitioners uh, all all the time. And and as far as the reimbursement issue goes, yes, I think that's a battle that should continue to be fought. But this is a this is an urgent matter. And l let me be clear: if the Mass Dental Society supported the Chandler-Pignatelli bill, it would be passed, it, hands down, in my opinion, immediately. We would solve the problem, and then we could work together to work ahead to make the circumstances for dentists and dentistry even better in the state. But I, I, I don't think the delay is wise. What, what is the issue, Dr. Martin, in uh, the, the Chandler-Pignatelli bill? Why, why not accept that, um, that challenge and say, yes, we'll pass this, and we'll work from there to uh, try to resolve the, uh, the differences? Well, you know, obviously, Jack, the devil's in the details. And um, one of the things that uh, the Pew Foundation and a lot of other groups, uh, you know, correlate <clears throat> the advanced dental therapist with an NP or a PA. And currently, um, in, in the Chandler-Pignatelli bill, uh, the proposal um, has them adhering to code of guidelines, which is three years of training uh, after high school. And <clears throat> that can even be what we call laddered. So they can actually be <clears throat> utilizing some of their hygiene education, assistant education, and not even have to do those three years. We want to equate the education with what an NP or a PA gets, a baccalaureate degree with another year or two of advanced training, especially when you consider that NPs and PAs do not do irreversible procedures. And this, this person would be doing irreversible procedures. So no, acknowledging uh, Massachusetts's leading 
place in, in the United States as far as education and having the best educated providers, that's the model that we think we should go with. So that's, that's one of the areas where, you know, we think we should start from that level and not build to that level. Well, doc, Dr. Berwick uh, makes the point that, that, that this is um, an urgent situation right now. And, and again, when you return to that um, uh, Mass Pe uh, Health Policy Council uh, report, one of the things that they pointed out is that nearly 40% of dentists that are practicing in Massachusetts are over the age of 55. And um, at least half of them uh, have said that they plan to retire, they, they plan to stop practicing within the next 10 years. So when you're talking about this extended uh, time frame for uh, training, as well as the need to have more direct supervision, you're going to be losing this pool in the meantime of, of potential uh, supervisor, supervisory dentists. Isn't that, isn't that a need to, to try to uh, push this forward sooner rather than later? That's certainly, certainly uh, one way to look at it. Another way to look at it is that uh, we have the most, in Massachusetts, we have the most dentists per capita in the state in the United States. And we have two Medicaid providers within five miles of every Medicaid patient, still currently with the amount that are being accepted. So we actually have coverage. Um, so it's more a problem of utilization than access, really, in Massachusetts. So we think that if we implement some of our preventive measures, such as the mandatory exams before they go to school, that would have an immediate impact worth millions of dollars uh, of helping children get to a dentist and be able to head those problems off uh, before they become more severe. So we think mechanisms like that implemented with the training of an advanced practitioner would be a good way to solve you know, both problems. Um, first of all, I, I want to acknowledge again how important and welcome it is that the Dental Society recognize the access gap. We are absolutely together on that, and I, and I think this needs to be solved, and, and both parties do. Um, fewer than 40% of dentists in Massachusetts saw even a single Medicaid patient in that year, 2014. You talked about there it simply is not an answer right now to, to this very, very urgent matter. Uh, in terms of tweaking the model, how many years of training, why do that now? We have the Committee on Dental Accreditation, which includes in, in a leadership role the American Dental Association, certifying an approach to preparation which they absolutely stand behind. We have evidence from research literature that supports the effectiveness of that training approach. We have ex extensive experience now in states, Alaska, uh, in Minnesota, um, and others uh, that this works. I, I, the, to, to say, no, we're going to reinvent this right now, to me, is it's, it, it slows down a process that could go quickly. And yes, indeed, I would say that uh, passing the Pignatelli-Chandler bill should be the beginning of an ongoing inquiry in the state. Is it working? How's it working? Are there any problems that we haven't anticipated? But we're, this is not uh, something that needs uh, reinvention at this moment. We have a model, and we should adopt it. But, but to be fair, Dr. Berwick, when you, when you talk about Alaska, um, uh, Wisconsin, and Michigan, was it, uh, or Minnesota? Uh, Minnesota, yeah, Vermont, Maine. Um, th though Alaska passed it back in 2004. Yes. It's a totally different uh, lay of the land than here in Massachusetts with the uh, rural access and the um, the, the native Eskimos, the requirements that they have, uh, an ability to be able to get to urban areas or even areas where dentists are practicing. 
uh, and the other two have only been in place at, you know, two years at the most, so you don't really have any kind of um, uh, history to, to go by. So how can you say that, that these are models that work? Well, I, first, I, I have faith in the Committee, Commission on Dental Accreditation. This is a, a very disciplined and professionally centered group. Uh, we, have, we have the backing of the most prestigious organization in the country with respect to what it takes to practice. Um, second, we have evidence from other countries, and yes, we're all different, but this is, you know, there are, there's plenty of deployment of this kind of model. Third, if you look at the issues in Alaska, where I, I saw these people, I actually met and, and, uh, and had interactions with the dental health aid therapists in that program, they're going to much more remote areas than we would have in Massachusetts. They're doing very, very well there. There have not been, I don't believe, any matter, any issues of safety that have developed in that system. So they've stress tested this model. So we, we, have, we have a bit of an easier shot here, and, uh, and, and we have an answer, and I guess that's my main point. If we really are as concerned about access as we have, if there's an answer sitting on the shelf, if there are 290,000 Medicaid children, thousands of people in nursing homes, and people in dental practices that want this kind of access, why don't we just give it to them and then improve it as we go along? Let me say one other thing. Uh, this is good for dentists. The testimony from dentists about who are involved in these programs is positive. It allows them to focus exactly on those conditions that they need to spend their time with. And frankly, it's economically valuable to dentists because they're under tremendous stress now. There's underpayment of dentistry. When you add a dental technician, a dental practitioner to your practice, in general, the, the revenues go up. The, the practice is economically healthier. They can serve more people because they're using people at the highest level of skill. The, the skill, scope of practice here, the, a dentist, I understand, is authorized to perform about 600 procedures. Uh, your hygienist can do 30. A dental technician, a, dent, a dental practitioner, a therapist under the, uh, this Pignatelli-Chandler uh, bill, the Alaska model, it does 60 procedures. So it's not like everything that dentists do suddenly fall to a different workforce. So, so Dr. Martin, if, if the only bill that's going to come out is the Chandler-Pignatelli bill, what's the mass dental stance? Or would you support that? We'd have to, uh, you know, have conversations with our board of trustees, obviously, and and uh, discuss that in depth. Um, but we th we think it's, uh, you know, a good, better, best type situation, as I said before. And I don't mean to be disingenuous or flip, but uh, in my Texas background, you know, it's we see uh, the Chandler bill as kind of a one-trick pony, and ours is a thoroughbred. I mean, it it can run faster and do a lot more than just one thing. Um, solve what we can solve now, and I assure, at least from my point of view, and I'll bet enthusiasts for access and equity and care will join the dentists uh, in the pursuit of the next level of improvement. I think, I, I just think bundling it all together right now doesn't get people the help they could get as fast as they could get it uh, using a program that's well-proven, safe, effective, uh, and uh, makes for a better state. So I'd say let's get started and get this simple uh, the simple model into our state, uh, be a leader that way, and then over time, I'm sure we can work together to make it even better. Dr. Martin, I'll give you the last word. Well, we're certainly, uh, we certainly welcome uh, a collegial approach, you know, with uh, Senator Chandler and Pignatelli and, um, you know, everyone that is working on, on their side to pass that bill. Um, we're certainly open to discussions as, as we move forward through the legislative cycle. 
And uh, because we, uh, I agree, once again, we want the best for the oral health of the Commonwealth. And we think that in certain ways, uh, oral health has been separated from the body. And we want to unite the mouth with the body again and have this all treated uh, as one. And, and I think uh, Dr. Berwick and I are together on that. And so we want to find avenues. Uh, we may differ in our thoughts on the avenues of how to get there. But, um, you know, we would like to see that driven forward. Great. Well, thank you, Doctor. Uh, that's it for this week's episode of the podcast. Hope we brought a smile to your face. I just had to say that. I'm sorry. Um, I'd like to thank Dr. Don Berwick and Dr. Ray Martin for their insight and passion on the issue and informing our listeners. Thank you both. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jack. You're welcome. You can subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud or download it on iTunes. You can also go to our website at www.commonwealthmagazine.org and click on the fish. My name is Jack Sullivan. Thank you for listening and tune in next week for another episode of the podcast. You have a talent for causing things. Be a dentist. People will pay you.